Just slip our hands to heaven and sing it again. We say, Lord, I bring my praise to you. Oh, I bring my praise to you, oh, Father. Bring my praise to you, oh, Lord. With our hands extended to heaven, Lord, we just take this moment and we say, Lord, would you come and be in this place this morning in the midst of our worship, God, inhabit our praise. God, because we realize in your presence, Lord, things do change. God, as we continue to worship, declare your greatness, Lord. We pray that you would come and change hearts and lives. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As I cast my mind to Calvary. 
sing this out. His body bound. His body this morning. I want you to picture that. Just tell the Lord that you love him this morning. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you, God. We
little piece of bread, this little cup of juice, not intended as a meal to nourish perhaps as much as it is to remind us of something. How many know it, when you have a birthday, an anniversary, it's a reminder of a very special day? July 4th, we celebrate the birth of our nation. How many know communion, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And it's a time to pause, it's a time to remember. It's a time to remember that it was my sins and your sins that led Christ to the cross. How many know it only takes one sin to make a sinner? So whether we're a really bad sinner, whether we're not too bad, how many know we're all in need of a Savior? But yet, communion is a time for us to realign our life. Maybe we've gotten off track with God. Maybe we have failed to do some things He's called us to do right. Can I tell you, friends, I can't think of a better time than right now not to condemn ourselves, not to be filled with shame, but to turn our hearts back to God fully and completely. There was something as I was praying yesterday about our time of communion, I, I, I was asking the Lord what He might have me share. I believe the Holy Spirit told me, remind them that I'm in control. How many know these elections have got everybody a little anxious, nervous, on edge? What's going to happen? Who's going to win? And what does it mean? And all these different things. But listen, friends, God is in control. How many know the cross was not an accident? How many know, as we talked about last week, even young Joseph, a young boy in the Old Testament, God was able to take something very terrible and turn it into something wonderful? Remember, his brothers threw him in a pit at 17 years of age, but God at 30 years of age was going to turn him into the ruler of Egypt so he could take care of the world. How many know God's never caught by surprise? How many know God's not on the ballot? How many know God owns the ballot? So as we stand before God today, let's always remember that God is indeed in control. We do the best we can do, we know how to do, but ultimately our trust is in Him because the cross was not accidental. The cross was not God's last-ditch effort because mankind messed up. I mean, you know, the Bible teaches us before the world was even created, God knew that Christ would come to redeem the world from our sin. As we hold this, this cup in our hand today, the bread reminds us of the body of Christ. The Scripture says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 11. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which have I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The punishment that Christ bore on the cross was for my sins. So that one day on judgment day, that great and terrible day, that I wouldn't have to bear the penalty for my sins, but Christ has taken them. Lord, as we bow our heads today, we recognize that you're the source of life. You're the source of our health, our strength, the clarity in our mind. Lord, today I pray that as we receive communion, that in a very deeper measure that Christ would reveal himself to us, that you would show us, Lord, how much you love us, how much you care for us, and that the revelation of God himself would become no more to our hearts. Bless this bread. Lord, if there's any sick in our midst, I pray for the power of Christ to heal broken bodies. Bless this bread in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper said this cup is the new covenant a new promise in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me whenever you as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup what's it say you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes friends we're looking backwards the, cup, the color of the cup reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us the Bible teaches us a law that's not taught in school today 
but it says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. We live in a world that has forgotten the meaning of sin, but the Bible reminds us that sin brings judgment, but Christ brings life. So today we're going to ask God afresh to forgive us, but we're going to also choose today to forgive people that have sinned against us. That's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. His forgiveness to us will be in the way we forgive others. So Lord, today we just pause a moment and, and humbly ask you to forgive us the wrongs that we've done, the things that we've said that we shouldn't have, the good things we neglected to do. God, I know that you're not here to condemn us, but you want to get us back on track. So we, do, we wonderfully come before you today and confess our sins and receive the washing and cleansing. I'm mindful today that there's no sin too great for God to forgive. Listen, many of you friends, are you live under shame and condemnation because you feel like what you did was so wrong. Can I tell you, friends, Jesus was able to wash it away and receive his forgetfulness. Today, Lord, too, we forgive those that have sinned against us. I pray, God, for everyone that's hurt me, lied to me, taken advantage of me. God, I turn justice over to you now. I lift them up to God. I release them today, and I bless them in Jesus' name. Let's lift this cup to heaven today because the scripture says we're doing this today to remember him until he comes again. Because one day Jesus is coming back, not as a little baby in a manger, but as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming to rule and reign on the earth. Lord, this blesses cup today, and let us be ready at your return in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Well, someone say praise the Lord. Why don't you stand back to your feet? We're going to worship with another song. If you're thankful for the price he's paid, 
Somebody give him some praise. He's a good God. Amen. Why don't you turn around to two or three people, tell them a happy yard to see him in the house of the Lord. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Be informed about what each party stands for before you vote. Pick up a voter's guide in the foyer and make sure you exercise your right to vote on Tuesday, November 8th. Election Day prayer will be going on in the Church on the Rock Sanctuary all day on Tuesday, November 8th from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sign up in the foyer for a time you will be able to attend. We will be in the Connect Cafe at 7 p.m. watching as the election results come in. The Church on the Rock Men's Conference is January 27th through the 29th at Pine Cove Retreat in Tyler, Texas. If you haven't signed up, see Pastor Mike or call the church office. Our annual Thanksgiving meal begins at 515 on Tuesday, November 22nd. The price is $5 per person, $3 per child, with a maximum of $20 per family. You must RSVP by November 17th. We are asking everyone who can to make the shift to Saturday night service to free up seats on Sundays for visitors. Imagine More campaign has reached the $750,000 mark. We are so excited to be that much closer to our goal as we finalize the plans to start construction on our building to get more room to reach more people for the Lord. Amen. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Let's give Jesus one more big hand clap for your work, coming together and doing that. You know, it wasn't one person that gave $750,000 or even gave half of it. It was all of us working together. And our goal is a million dollars to break ground. And we're real close to doing that, kind of finalizing plans, because we kind of shift from just adding on classrooms, Connect Cafe, to expanding the sanctuary, too, so we can really reach some more people. So, uh, you know, kind of back in the old track days, we'd have the mile relay at the end of the track meet, and there's four laps of that. Now it's a four by 400. But, you know, we've ran three laps, and then we got one more lap to go. So let's just work together and uh, just ask God to bless us, and we can be a blessing to get this thing up and just reach more people. So God bless you for giving. Amen. How many people know what Tuesday is? We have an election in case you haven't watched TV for six months. The apocalypse. Uh, there's, yeah, hopefully. There's a big election this Tuesday, and uh, obviously it's important to go out there and vote if you hadn't already. But 
Tuesday from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., we are opening up the church sanctuary to pray. How many people know our, our nation needs God? And whether it's a Republican or a Democrat that gets the presidential nomination, we need to humble ourselves and just pray to the Lord. So if you want to come up between 6 o'clock a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m., the sanctuary would be open even for five minutes or 30 minutes or for your lunch break. We'd encourage you to do that. Uh, also, we're looking for about 20 volunteers, our cultural impact team is, to help uh, just with people coming in and different things. And if you want to sign up for a time slot, you can do that in the foyer. There's a booth. And also, real quick, I want to give a shout-out to our cultural impact team. Uh, they're a team here at our church that really rallies together for different causes. They're the team that's been behind the Repeal 130 that happened on the Arkansas side. They registered, Pastor John told me today, over 100 people for this election. And so can we give it up for them real quick? Amen. God bless you. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And you know, as our staff was talking about how do we celebrate the $750,000 mark, and it just seemed right, hey, if we could give $7,500 to uh, some other ministries, and we talked to Pastor John, so I've got checks here adding up to $7,500. One is for $2,500 to Kaya. He was here not too many uh, weeks ago, and that globe, we were able to raise $3,000. That represents Bibles. And so those were $3,000 worth of Bibles for the Syrian refugees. We're adding another 2500 to that because he needs more Bibles over there. And 5000 to Christ for India, the Tituses. They're trying to raise money for the buses. They haven't reached that goal yet. And so do uh, you think that's a good way to celebrate? We just do that. Amen. Well, God bless you as you give today. And let's all try to do a little extra in this last lap for Imagine More. God bless you.
the good things in my life are from God. How many know the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the car we drove to church in? How many know the measure of health that we enjoy, the family that loves us? How many know all this comes from God? Let's sing it one more time. And just close your eyes and let it be a prayer of thankfulness. Because you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who Thank God that the scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And as we walk with God, there's a, there's a promise that God's going to direct us into the future. That as we trust in Him, we don't have to worry about the future because God holds it. Come on, could you just thank God for that? That He's trustworthy about tomorrow. That God can be trusted about the election. That He can be trusted about America's future. All these things that tend to worry us and cause us to fret. He's a good, good father. Welcome today, Lord. And Lord, I'm going to pray as I open the Bible. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would have liberty this morning. Just to speak to us from the eternal word of God. Each one of us, God, in your own special way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you are glad they're here today. And you may be seated. about it. Don't worry about it. You have better things to do. It doesn't really count. It doesn't even make a difference. What's one vote in the grand scheme of things? What's one little vote? It's just one. About 50% of Christians in America aren't even registered to vote. So why bother? Why bother? Why bother? And about half of them don't even show up on election day. So why should you? After all, who cares about the future of American families? Who cares about my education? Who cares about religious freedom? Who cares about the life of the unborn? Who cares about the world you're leaving your children? I do. I do. I care. I care. And I'm not going to sit around and do nothing and call myself a Christian. Voting is a privilege that I take seriously. And every single vote counts. If every Christian would register and then actually vote in the general and primary elections. We could flood Washington with men and women who actually care about our values, beliefs, and convictions. We could restore America back to her moral foundation. We could make a huge difference. A huge difference. A huge difference. But you know what? Don't worry about it. It's just my future. Well, how many can say I'm worried about it too? It is our future. How many have already voted? Early voted? Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Let me encourage all of you on Tuesday. It's just right around the corner. I was at a gas station this week and made conversation with a gentleman next to me. 
and he said, just kind of out of the blue, he said, I think this is going to be the most important election of my lifetime. And I agreed with him because if we look past the candidates, if we look past uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton's call for her smile and past Mr. Trump's hair, we see two very different visions for America. And uh, we've been talking about this a bit lately. We've got some educational material, hope to help you, particularly Arkansas side. I was looking at your ballot, and you've got, I think, six or seven issues. And uh, you can just read about them. Uh, it's non nonpartisan material. But we've been talking the last couple weeks about the election. I feel it's important that there should be the voice of the pulpit, uh, not just the voice of, of the news network, not just the voice of Fox or CNN or talk radio. I mean, no, it's the voice that comes from God's word that gives us guidance in all arenas of life. And uh, the first week, a couple weeks ago, that was the one that was a little tense. We talked about judges matter. We talked about issues. We talked about uh, different political uh, positions and party stands. But judges do matter. Because whoever is going to be our president is going to appoint uh, certainly one Supreme Court justice, but three of them are over 78 years of age. And those are the men, it just seems, who have fallen to, the men and women that set the course of our country. Last week, we looked at the other, kind of the flip side, and I'm looking at like a three-legged stool in these three election messages. Last week was about, it was entitled, God is in Control. And it didn't take away from the fact that we vote, we educate ourselves, but how many know God is taking this planet somewhere? I mean, no, God is taking the course of human history and human events towards a predetermined course. And sometimes we can let, you know, what goes on around us, the stress of it, the fear and the worry, really undermine our confidence in God. We saw that last week illustrated in the life of Joseph. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about the third leg on the, the stool, and I'm going to talk about prayer because prayer matters. Can you say that? Prayer matters. And that's my election philosophy, a three-legged stool, vote biblical values, trust that God is in control, and then this last one, pray, because prayer matters. Let's, uh, let's look at it together. We're going to begin uh, in Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, and I'm going to make a statement, and it's this, America needs God, not just politicians, to prosper. Let me say it again. America needs God's involvement in our nation. Not just Democrats, Republicans, or Libertarians. Let me know we need to, as a nation, once again, welcome God back in our country. This is the why behind prayer. The psalmist says this, Psalm 127.1, If the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders are working for nothing. for nothing. If the Lord doesn't guard the city, the guards are watching for nothing. And the picture here is unless God's involved in, uh, in, in not only your home. How many know if, if someone wants to get in your house, they're going to figure a way to break in? I mean, you can have a deadbolt, but all they've got to do is break the glass or pick the lock or take one of those things that pries the door open. They can get in your house. How many know this scripture is talking not about what's happening here on this earth uh, in, in terms of just the practical efforts of man, but what it's saying is we need to have God involved in the building of America. And prayer is the way we invite the Lord to build the house. Prayer is the way we invite God to guard the city or guard the house or, in this case, guard the nation. Now, I want to give you a little history about America because you that particularly are younger have not had the privilege to be raised in school where they taught you about early America's dependence on prayer and the God of the Bible. Uh, early America, uh, arguably, America's the greatest, still the greatest nation on earth. I mean, right now, at this very moment, you can see it's not hard to find on, on the internet, but of the scores of people 
people that are coming from the southern border across, uh, across into our nation, just pouring into our border. And you know why they're doing that? They're doing that because America, come on, is a great nation. America is a place that cares for people. America is a nation where there's a, a level of prosperity. But nations have been wondering and people groups have been wondering for hundreds of years what is so different about America. Why is across the Mexican border just a little bit a somewhat impoverished nation, but when you come into America, why is there so much prosperity? What's going on? What is the difference? Well, this question was asked by a French statesman, Alexis de Tocqueville, in the 1830s, many years ago. But he visited America to ask the question, to answer the question, why is America so great? And here's what he said. He's quoted as saying, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect was the first thing that struck my attention. The longer I stayed in America, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. Now, Here's a statesman, he's making the observation that their religion, their, their commitment to the Bible has found its way into their politics and it is making a difference in their nation. He even said this, there's no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Not just religion, but it was the Christian influence. Now we're taught today, revisionist historians will tell you, well, that's not true. Your early Americans were not Christians. They, they weren't believers in the Bible. Some were, sure, but, but not that many. It, it, it's, we've always been a nation that was, you know, we've been uh, secular. We've been a nation that welcomed all religions. But listen, friends, what I want to tell you, history is undeniable that the Bible, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as Tadokville noted, it was the Christian influence that affected the decisions that people make in their everyday lives. Have you ever tried to get a, uh, a, a Chick-fil-A on Sunday? You can't do it. Why, why not? I mean, don't they care about money? Sure they do. But there's something more important than that. The founder viewed Sunday, the Christian Sabbath, as a day of rest. And he wanted his employees to be able to be off work so they could worship God and spend family time together. America has changed over the years. Because, my friends, neither nations nor politicians nor political parties, none of them can bring America to where she needs to be. They will all fail without God. Our first president knew this. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. Did you ever hear that about Washington? Doubtful in public society. Put, that, put it back on the screen, his quote. He said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world. Now, how many know uh, politicians and kings and dictators all over the world are governing, but they're not doing it in a right way? How many know the Bible elevates all of us as human beings? The Bible ascribes value to, the, to the, the baby that's in the womb, to the elderly person. It ascribes value to all races. It ascribes value across the gender spectrum. How many know the Bible is indeed the great liberator of men and women across the world? So George Washington recognized this, and it, it was essential in our, the early part of our nation. Psalms chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and horses. Now again, 2,000 years ago, but we could say it this way. Some trust in technology. Some trust in the ability of the government to come up with money in government programs. But we trust the Lord our God. And that's not to say we don't appreciate our government. That's not to say we don't value what they do to help people. But it simply says it's God first. It's not God back here or it's not God in the church house. But first, we trust God. We look to God 
to care for the nation and to direct the affairs of our nation. Prayer is the way we ask God to help our nation. Prayer recognizes our need for God and, and asks for his help. Let me give you another quote that you likely won't hear in school. It's about Ben Franklin. I mean, no, Ben Franklin did more than fly kites. Again, one of our early statesmen, when they were endeavoring to write the Constitution, these handful of colonies had broken away from Europe, broken away from Great Britain, and they were trying to have some organizing document, a federal document that would cover the various states. They had worked on it for five weeks, but were failing. And here's what Ben Franklin said. He called the delegates to prayer. Ben Franklin said this. He said, it's as if we've been groping in the dark to find political truth, the Constitution. How has it happened that we have not once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights? This is God, Father of lights, the sun and the moon. We've not humbly thought to apply to him to illuminate our understanding. In other words, here's like slapping them upside the head. If you, my wife's got me watching this uh, crime show, NCIS, and you know how the boss does Donoso. He slaps him upside the head there. It's like he's saying, hey, delegates, what in the world are we doing? I mean, we're sitting here, and we're trying to come up with our best efforts, and you're bringing your history book from Europe and your experience as a, as a lawmaker, as a, you know, someone that served in the court system, the judicial system, but we have not taken the time we need to to ask God to show us what to do. That is exactly what he's saying. And then he said this, In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, the war, the war of independence, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. In other words, Vince Franklin's saying your, 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 your government civil leaders, your military leaders, your, were all spiritually minded people, and they were praying for God to protect the nation. And now God's done that, and he asked the question, or he said, first he said, our prayers were graciously answered. But then he stands back and said, have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Talking about God. Do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? Does it seem like that's where we are as America? We act as if we no longer need God's assistance. Because after all, we've paid into the social security system and they're going to take care of us. After all, when I'm in need, now I'm disabled, somebody's going to take care of me. After all, we still have the most powerful military complex on the planet that we've been destroying it as of late. After all, but somewhere in this, we're missing the need for God. This is the root problem in America Ben Franklin said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs that I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And then this statesman says, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, he quotes the Bible, if a sparrow can't fall, uh, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? In other words, how could this nation ever become great without the aid of God? We've been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, the Bible, and he quotes this verse, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's what we just read. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, God's help, we won't be able to succeed in this political building any better than the towers of Babel. Now, I guarantee if you ask a child educated in our public system today, even a college-age student, if they've not been exposed to the Bible, they have no idea what the Tower of Babel was. The Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis was the work of mankind, where they all collectively came together with one language. They built this temple, as it were, this, this, this sphere that they were going to reach heaven with. 
And God thwarted their efforts. And he's saying that's exactly what us trying to write this constitution without God's help will be. And here's what he said. He said, I move that prayers imploring the assistance of heaven be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And can I tell you, friend, after five weeks of failure, they committed themselves to prayer. And after a few weeks, they produced a document that's the longest ongoing constitution in the history of the world. Can I tell you, friend, prayer matters. Give the Lord a a good hand today. Let's get a bit more practical now. Because a nation's future rests on the prayers and the actions of God's people. This is kind of the when to pray. When do we pray and what, what else do we do besides prayer for the nation? This morning's message is not about educating you so much on candidates' positions as it is on what's the spiritual component of people as we try to see tournament. Because that's what we're looking for. Everyone in America is looking for it. Our health care system that our government instituted several years ago, it's failing. And now we're saying, what are we going to do now? Is there going to be more and more government money? Well, Why is it? And again, thank God we live in America where you have needs, you can get help. But why do we somehow think that if we just give more people money and more build more bureaucracy that we're going to solve our problems? And we're trying to do this apart from God. Well, here's what God told Solomon in the Old Testament what to do when the nation was in trouble. Now, mind you, in the biblical era, they didn't have a a, 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 a constitutional republic like we do. They didn't have a representative form of of democracy. But we can look back at the nation and see what God prescribed to do with their troubles. Second Chronicles 7 verse 13, God told Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or when I send pestilence among my people, and here's what he said, verse 14, If my people, if my people, the people of God, who are called by my name, will do four things. If we will humble ourselves, if we'll pray, If we'll seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, God said, then I'll hear from heaven and then I'll heal their land. Now, here's what we tend to do in America. And i got to confess I'm guilty too. I I, I read, first thing I get, when I get up in the morning, I want to see, is any new election information out there? Who's going to win? And no matter who's in the office, it's almost like we're looking at our president, our congressman, and we say, we don't like them, we don't like what they're doing, and we don't like what the Supreme Court's deciding, and we need a new this, and we need somebody else up there. When the Bible says, don't look at them, look in the mirror. If my people. I can't look and blame Washington, D.C. or Austin or Little Rock for the problems in our nation. I've got to look in the church house. Come on. I've got to look in my own life. I've got to look in mine and you've got to look in yours. And the Bible says, if you and I would humble ourselves, we'll talk about that. If we would pray and seek the face of God. If we would turn around from wickedness. God will heal this great land. Now, let's, let's go back into this. Verse 13, it was a picture of judgment. The nation was in trouble. There was no rain. They'd shut up the heavens. Locusts were devouring, pestilence among the people. See, we realize, all of us realize something's wrong. You take the most liberal to the most conservative in America. You take the believer and you take the humanist or secularist. Everybody knows something's wrong. Everybody knows something's broken. But the question is, how do we fix it? What solution do we find? There's a push towards globalism. There's a push towards nationalism. But what's missing is a push towards God. We're told to keep God in the church house. Maybe this is what's wrong. The problem we disagree. Voting is our way that 
We put our hope in politicians. When voting, and i got to be honest, I'm sick of it. I can't wait for it to be over. But, but when we vote, particularly in our national election for our president, our hopes are out on the line. We're saying, sir, sir or ma'am, are you going to be able to fix what's broken in our nation? Are you going to be able to help us with our health care, with our poor, with our immigration issues, who becomes a citizen, who votes, who doesn't vote? Are you going to help us with our military, our protection? Are you going to help us with terrorism? And, and, and the scripture says the solution begins with if my people. Because change starts not in the election booth or not in the White House, but in the church pew. Now, this does not take away from voting and us doing our part. My friend, you can't just say, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. That, that is the wrong opinion. Listen, God, though he can do whatever he wants to do, he'll often limit himself to the responses of people. You remember when he wanted the children of Israel to go into the promised land? And what did they say? Oh, no, we can't do that. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to put you in there. I'm going to transport you like the old Star Trek movie. I'm going to just put you over in the promised land. No, he didn't. He said, whole generation, you just die in the wilderness, and I'll send your children in. Because there was something that they needed to do, and prayer is one of the key things. Change starts here. We look at the character flaws of Mr. Trump and Ms. Clinton, and the closer we get to the election, the more flaws we see. We see that it's not just about hairdos and makeup. We see that these folks represent, first of all, they're human beings. Come on, they're just like you and I. We long for an, uh, leaders that have character. But my friends, we've got what we've got to deal with this time. But I cannot look at them or point my finger at them for my ultimate hope. Come on. Whether your candidate wins or loses in, on election uh, day after the election, let me know God is still in control. And we need God's help to lead this nation. But it starts with us. And the first thing we're to do is to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves means we recognize our need for God. We look to Him first and, and not ourselves or not our president or our government. What do you mean by this, preacher? How do I humble myself as a believer? Well, how about this? I don't care where, what you are in this life. If you're good at something, I don't care if you can make more tires than anyone else at Cooper Tire. I don't care if you have a business that money is just flowing in hand over foot. I don't care if you're a teacher that can go in a classroom of, of, of kids that are just headed to juvenile hall and turn it around. Before you go into that office or into that classroom, would you just pause in your car that moment before you get to the office and say, Lord, I can't make a dollar today unless you help me. Lord, I cannot help one child in their despair unless you help me. Lord, I cannot do one thing. I cannot make one touchdown, one field goal. Come on. I can't do anything without you, Lord. What is that? It is humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And that's the first thing that you and I, that's what we practically can do that has nothing to do with politicians, but has everything to do with the way that we look at our lives. Because everything I have can do is because of him. I mean, you know, it's in Christ we live and move and have our being. The first was to humble ourselves. The second was to pray, and I'll talk about that specifically in a moment. But the third one was to seek my face. To seek God's face, it's a picture of asking God what to do, of seeking His Word for answers, of turning from our self-centered life. That's what, that's what uh, Ben Franklin told the, the, the men that were gathered there to bring the Constitution together. He said, guys, we're bringing our best efforts here. We're pooling our expertise, but it's not enough. Come on, we need to seek the face of God together. Whether we stand up or whether we bow on our knees, how many know what matters is that we're looking to heaven and saying, God, what would you do in this land? 
to turn from our wicked ways, well, that's pretty clear. To turn from our wicked ways, again, not the world. Not asking Mr. Trump or Ms. Clinton to turn from their wicked ways, but to look in the mirror and say, John Miller, turn from your wicked ways. Repent from your evil. Stop sinning and start doing what's right. And the Bible says that if we will do these things, there's a cause and effect. If we will do our part, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways, I mean, you know, God told the nation that they would, he would heal their land and God would restore them. And that's exactly the spiritual prescription for what the United States needs. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. Now, how should we pray for America? How should we pray for America? This is the how part. I'm going to give you three things that are intensely practical that I hope you will do every day of your life. I hope you'll come and find some time this Tuesday, as I will, and spend a few minutes in the sanctuary. If you can't make it here, but somewhere specifically to pray for the nation. The doors will be open at 6. They'll be open, I think, till the polls close. And, and, uh, but, but a few minutes. It won't be organized. You can just kind of come and go. But I hope that you will do what I am choosing to do the day after the election. Whoever wins, I'm getting out of my bed, and I'm committing afresh to pray for this nation. Come on. I'm going to commit myself to pray for this nation and whoever is elected to be in charge of this thing. Now, here's what we pray, though, when we pray for America. The first thing is I suggest, or biblically suggest, that we are to confess our sins and the sins of our nation. What do you mean, preacher? Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Again, the nation is in trouble. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah was one of the great leaders of the Old Testament. He took a nation that was, for example, if you've, if you've ever been out in the mud in your vehicle and your tires just spin, how many know you need to take your foot off the accelerator and you need a little solution there? You need to get, find a way for it to get some traction or be pulled out, but you're not going anywhere. And that's what the nation was doing, and Nehemiah found a way to push them out of the rut that they were in. Here's what happened. Now, Nehemiah, historically, uh, he, he lived in Babylon or Persia, the per region of Persia. The, uh, Israel had been in captivity, you remember? God judged them. They were there for 70 years. But during the time, the children of Israel began to prosper again. And this man was elevated under this pagan king. And he was what was called the king's cupbearer. He had a high position of influence. But notice what it says. Uh, Ooh, I almost got in trouble. My computer's telling me I need to update my software, and I almost hit yes. <laughs> Nehemiah, some of the guys came to Nehemiah from Jerusalem, and he's asked this concerning the Jews. And they said to him, the remnant who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. It's a picture of a nation in trouble. The wall is what gave them protection. The gates that had been burned decades earlier had never been repaired. It's almost like now that it's almost like anything goes in America. It's like our media has no gates. Our media has no gates what they bring in your home. If they want to define the family in a fresh new way, they'll produce a show called Modern Family and Anything Goes. You will have role models like the Kardashians. You'll have role models. I don't even know what that other show is. The blonde guy. Uh, I can't. Anyway, they're nutsy out there. But there's no gates to control morality and righteousness in America. And here's what happened, verse 4. As soon as he heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I cannot make myself cry over America 
But somehow Nehemiah's heart was touched. And here's what he said. He said when he prayed to God, he said, Oh, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. Now listen, many of you are so discouraged about America, you want to get some emergency food and go hide somewhere. How many have thought of that? Come on, wave your hands at me. Sure you have. Only problem is we're going to follow you, and wherever you are, we're going to chase you down because we're going to want to eat at your house. You can't get away from all this. Can I tell you, friend, I don't care who wins on, I care on Tuesday, but can I tell you, God is still going to be the God of the universe on Wednesday morning. And in the midst of the broken walls, Nehemiah said, God, you're, you're great and awesome. You keep your covenant. Hear the prayer that I'm praying before you night and day. And what's he say? Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. They'll never do that in the White House. They'll never do it on CNN or Fox. But you and I can do this thing, friend. When we come, whether it's in this sanctuary or in our own prayer time, as we kneel by our bed, my friends, if you will come before God and say, God, I want to ask you today to have mercy on this nation. I want to ask you today first, Lord, to forgive me for my sins. But I want to ask you to forgive the sins of the church. Forgive us when we've been self-righteous in any fashion. Forgive us when we've neglected the poor. Come on, forgive us when we have treated sinners differently than the way that you want us to be treated or then we want to be treated for our sin forgive us God when we have created a society that now our own tax dollars pay for the taking of life in an abortion clinic God would you forgive us for these things this is how the Bible says we come before him in prayer confessing the sins of the nation this is how we seek his face and humble ourselves let me give you the second thing as Jesus taught us to pray if you're going to pray for the nation and your confession of sins is the beginning place, the second thing is Matthew 6. I mean, when Jesus said when you should pray, you should pray like this. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. Now, say with me on this one. How many know God can do anything he wants to? God does not need our, our, our participation to act. But oftentimes God will limit himself based on to what you and I do. He will limit himself based on what we will not do. And sometimes the nation is on hold, just like Israel was when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because we are unwilling to engage with God. Now let me tell you a couple things about praying, Lord, let your will be done. That's a very generic prayer. There's some things I'm very clear what God's will is. I mean, it's very clear in the Bible what it means to be in family. It's very clear in the Bible about, about, about the covenant of marriage and about divorce. I mean, it's very clear in the Bible how I'm supposed to treat my, my parents as they age and how, uh, how a parent is supposed to respond to their child. Some things are very clear. And when we see these going on around us, we can begin to pray over these things knowing it's the will of God. But there's other things that I'm not clear about. For example, I'm not clear whether God wants Mr. Trump or Mrs. Clinton in the White House. Now, I am clear on where their stands are. I'm very clear on Mrs. Clinton's stand when she says, I'll choose a Supreme Court justice. The, a, a litmus test will be, are they pro-abortion uh, pro and are they pro-equality in marriage? That's who I'm going to pick. Can I tell you, friends, it's totally opposite of Mr. Trump. And there's a biblical position in that. I, I, Mrs. Clinton, when she's in favor of what we just negotiated with Iran, giving them billions of dollars, moving them toward nuclear technology, when the nation of Israel is right there, come on, the apple of God's eye, that the focal point of the book of Revelation, it's very clear to me how America should relate to the nation of Israel. Come on, our presidents will take us in one or two different directions. Now that's clear, but how many know just because something is right doesn't always mean that God's going to let the nation go, to go in that direction. 
I don't know what the future may hold. There may be persecution ahead for America. Come on. There may be a season of refining for America. I don't know what the future holds. That's why when, when I pray over the, the candidates, I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Give us the person in office, come on, that you need at a federal level, at state levels, and at local levels so somehow the will of God will be accomplished. Because let me remind you, friend, as we learned last week through a man named Cyrus, God can even use the unbeliever to accomplish his will. See, God is not limited by men or women, so we need to pray specifically, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Because I'm more, maybe more concerned about my comfort for a quiet and peaceable life, and God may be more concerned about advancing the kingdom of God. Because here's something I've observed. When Christians tend to be, I don't know what else to say, but I'll just say it, fat, dumb, and happy. When everything is going well, and there's plenty of everything, and there's no problems, how many know we tend not to pray that much? But you let a little pressure come in. You let Red River say that they're going to close down operations out here. You let Cooper say they're going to move their plant to Finley, Ohio or somewhere. How many know you go home and you pray a little different if you've got income that's dependent on those sources? You see, when our world is shaken a little bit, you and I take on a kingdom mindset that's a little greater. I'll just leave that out and let you think about that a little bit. Here's the third one that I'm going to encourage you to pray for the candidates and our leaders. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this was written when Christians were being persecuted by the Roman Emperor Nero. If you know anything about Nero, many historians believe that he would literally dip Christians in oil. And he would set them on fire to bring light to his gardens at night. It was severe Christian persecution. It was not fun. And here's what Paul told Timothy, how, what to pray. He said, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. And here's what you pray. Number one, ask God to help them. Number two, he kind of repeats that, intercede for their behalf. To intercede means that I take God by the hand, as it were, in prayer. And I take, for example, our president, President Obama, by the hand. And I begin to pray in intercession. And then verse number three, give thanks for them. And with that background, ask God to help them, give thanks for them, pray this way, what way? The way we just said, for kings and all who are in authority, so we may live a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. Now listen to verse 3, it's the kicker. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Can I tell you what's wrong with the corruption and the, the corrupt politicians in our nation today? And uh, listen, and, and all this evil that you see everywhere, it's because lost people do what lost people do. How many know liars lie until they're converted? How many know stealers steal until they're converted? How many know corrupt people become more corrupt until they're converted? Violent people become more violent until they're converted. But when, listen, I don't know about you, but I was not the same person I am today before I got saved. Something happened to me, and it was not by a government mandate or a regulation. Come on, when Jesus touched my heart, I stopped doing what I used to do. I was doing some things I'm ashamed of. My daughter's here today, so I won't dare mention them to you. But I was a worldly person, and I'm ashamed of it today. But when I got saved and I began to read in my Bible that different things began to please God, different ways of purity of life, I decided I'm turning my back on the old, and I'm walking after the new because Jesus has saved me and made me new on the inside. 
And that is exactly, come on, when you look at people, I don't care if it's an evil school principal or if it's an evil politician, an evil preacher, an evil plumber. How many know if you've got heart problems, you need genuine conversion because God will change you on the inside. And when God changes you on the inside, how many know it'll affect all the people that are being influenced by you? Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Well, let's close with this. You remember when we were talking about uh, if my people call by my name, humble themselves, pray, uh, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, the scripture says, then I'll hear from heaven. If you, then I, cause and effect, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive your sin, and I'll heal your land. In other words, the nation will receive forgiveness and restoration. And can I tell you, friend, our nation is sick. We are sick spiritually, and we need to vote Tuesday, but voting is not enough. And listen, let me encourage you. You're going to get there Tuesday. There's going to be long lines. Hang in that line. Come on, you'd hang in the line at Disneyland, wouldn't you? You hang in the line when you go to Dallas or when you go to get in the ball game or when you go to the amusement park. Hang in that line and vote biblical values, but voting is not enough. How many know we need a spiritual awakening in America? And the solution for America's troubles is not going to be in the White House but it's going to be in the church house. And I want to encourage you to join me, whether it's for here on Tuesday for prayer, but as we go into this next era of America's future, that we're going to be people that are living godly lives and people that are praying for our leaders, believing that his kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done on the earth. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today, and I'd like for us just to pause just a minute now and just, and just pray. Okay, can we do that? Okay, let me say it differently since I got that overwhelming response. We're going to pray before we go. Why don't you take somebody by the hand near you right now just as a sign of unity. Just grab somebody across the aisle too and just reach out there just as two people agreeing. Jesus said if two of you would agree as touching anything, Jesus said I'll hear and I'll answer that prayer. So Lord, we want to first of all thank you that you are God. I want you to just pray along with me right now. Just say thank you, Lord, that you're so kind to our nation. Come on, just thank God right now. Thank God that he's been good to this nation. Alexis de Tocqueville found that out in the 1830s, and he found out why. Because they were a people who took their religion seriously. They took the God of the Bible seriously. And we want to say thank you that you've built this great nation. But we, Lord, want to ask you to forgive us as the people of God because we have failed in many ways. We have failed to model the love in our families. And we have failed in the way that we have treated people in self-righteous ways. God, we ask you to forgive us if we've neglected the poor or if we've been some way prejudiced towards another person who's different from us. God, we confess our sins before you today. We confess the sins of the nation that are hard in your sight. God, we ask you today that you would come and renew this nation, that you would come and cause her to be a, a spiritual wind of revival to begin to blow upon America. Today, would you grant us, God, the ability, Lord, the desire that you and I as Christians here today, help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves before you do it for us. Help us, God, to just nudge us and remind us to pray and, and, and to seek your face and, and convict us, Holy Spirit, so we turn from our wicked ways. Because, Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. Come on, just say that right now. Say, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to be someone that longs for the truth of God, longs to follow and serve God. I want you to be more important in my life than anything else. 
And Lord, we want to pray for Mr. Trump right now. We want to pray for Mrs. Clinton. We pray over these two individuals, both who won't aspire to the office of president, but only you know their heart or their motivations and reasons. I would simply pray over them, let your kingdom come, Lord, and let your will be done. I want to pray, Lord, that you have the capability to move people in office or out of office. Lord, even if someone is scheming on how they're going to manipulate voter machines and how fraud is going to be evidence, you can expose it and you can turn it around. But I just pray, God, that there's going to be a free and honest and open election. And I want to pray that you would give not only America but the nations of the world another chance at an awakening before judgment comes. I want to pray that before the Antichrist steps on the scene and the book of Revelation gets heavy, I want to pray there's going to be a spiritual revival that will sweep the nations of the world. And I want to pray that it starts among your people, Lord, in the house of God. Lord, let it start in us. And could you pray this? Say, Lord, let it start in me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to have one last song before we, we close for this morning. I, I want to just say how much I appreciate you coming today. There's a lot of wonderful churches in our city, and I'm honored that you're here with us today. But I'd like to take a special moment because maybe you're here and you need God's help in some very, a very personal way. We have time for prayer in all of our services, and in just a moment our prayer team is going to come to the front. And they'll pray with you about anything that troubles you, any need that you have, any, any big decision you've got to make any question in your mind or maybe you care a lot about a friend or family member and they're in trouble they need God's help let us pray with you today this could be a miracle moment in the house of God but I also want to encourage you if you're here today and say pastor my spiritual life is not where it needs to be pastor I don't know if I'd die today if I'd go to heaven or hell I, I want to get right with God today if that's you more important than anyone else in this room I want to encourage you to come and let somebody pray for you because how many know you can go to heaven with a, a broken life and a life that's in trouble, come on, and a bankruptcy and, and out of work and no medical insurance? How many know if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven? But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, my friend, you're in a terrible place. We want to pray for you today, not for you to join this church, but to give your heart to Christ and begin a walk with God that will change the rest of your life. So our prayer team is coming to the front right now. Pastor Nick, one last song. And I just want to invite as our men and women are coming around the altar, they're here for you. And if you want prayer for anything, slip out of your chair, friend, because this could be a miracle moment just for you. Come, let us pray for you today. And I see many searching for Cause you're a good 